Hey friends, Jacqueline here. Based on all the amazing things we are seeing happen online, we are predicting this is going to be one of the busiest seasons for e-commerce ever. Are you ready for it? No matter what stage of business you're in, the one thing we do know is you need to show up and create content that actually matters to your customers during this 2020 holiday season. But wait, you may be thinking, sounds great, but what do I actually say to them without being salesy? Don't worry, friends. We've got you covered this holiday season. Introducing 101 plus content ideas beyond the discount 2020 edition, a bundle of tools, prompts, and video training that helps you create content this holiday season to reach out to your customers beyond just offering discounts, which is uber important to having a profitable Q4. This is created specifically for you to use during this 2020 holiday season. So what's included? 101 plus content prompts to be used on social media, emails, and in live videos. Three months of edible calendars filled with daily content ideas for marketing in 2020 quarter four. Monthly checklists for 2020 holidays to inspire content and calendar prompts. Five holiday plug and play scripts that will help you show up easily on video to stand out from the big guys. And this is one of our favorites, the easiest way to have a 12 days of holiday sales or a cyber month sales worksheet plus video trainings and so much more. If you want to check it out, make sure to grab 101 content ideas beyond the holiday discount 2020 holiday edition. We wanted to make this holiday season as sweet as pumpkin pie that we are practically giving this away. Head to holidaycontentideas.com right now. And let's make this your most profitable holiday season ever. Welcome to the Product Boss Podcast, where we help product-based businesses grow their sales and improve their strategies. Hey, everyone. I want to introduce you to my co-host and biz bestie, Mina Kunlo-Sita, an Amazon guru that has built a multi-six-figure product-based business. And introducing the other half of the product boss, Jacqueline Snyder. She has helped launch and grow over 500 fashion apparel and accessory brands, even one of her own. And together, we share our inventory of secret weapons that will help you dig deep and do the work it takes. Are you ready? Let's build together. Hey everybody, Jacqueline and Mina here, your co-hosts of the Product Boss Podcast. Today, we will be sharing a conversation we had with a fellow female founder. You see, we believe women helping women is what the world needs more of. Introducing our female founder episodes, where we interview fellow female entrepreneurs and highlight their small business. Our goal is to shine a spotlight on product businesses to encourage our community to support each other, learn from each other, buy from each other, and lift each other up. So let's jump in. Tiffany Chu of Chunks is with us today for Female Founders episode. Tiffany, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. We're thrilled to have you here. You're actually a masterminder with us right now in the top, Mm -hmm. and we are so excited to, to work with you a bit more, and we're actually huge fans of your business. So please tell our listeners a little bit about Chunks. So Chunks, I started at the beginning of 2019. Um, I specialize in uh, really fun, colorful hair accessories, kind of for the millennial Gen Gen Zer who's very 
kind of socially conscious with their with their dollars and their spending, um, but also just loves bright, colorful, fun, fun things. Yeah. So it's hair accessories, and then you also have sunglasses, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sunglasses, and where do you? Uh, the sunglasses were kind of like a transition from my old business, but okay. Well, speaking of old business, so tell us a little bit, I think your story is so interesting. So you had a business before this, but just as a quick update, you went to Parsons and you have your BFA, your business, your bachelor's of fa- uh, fine arts in mm-hmm. fashion design, right? Yes. So we're yep. sisters, same degree. Yeah. Um, I told you that we were sister schools because she didn't realize that Otis where I went and Parsons used to be together back in the day. Um, so fashion designer and you left school and then did you go work for anyone or did you start your business sort of right away? Yeah, I kind of floated around for a few years. I feel like, um, after college, I had that maybe common experience that a lot of, um, post-college kids go through where they're just like, um, okay, now what do I do? Um, and so I kind of wandered around, um, LA and, um, I got a job at a small shoe company in Atlanta and I worked there for about a year, but then I got laid off. And then like, it was, I hit like a rough spot in my mid twenties where it was just that quarter life crisis. I was broke, had no job. My car broke down. (laughs) So I just had to like, listen to the universe and be like, okay, I need to calm down. And just like, let me, let me experiment, um, with this little idea that I had in my head. So then I, um, developed this dye technique of dyeing ombre tights. So you were sourcing, so you sourced the tights and then you started dyeing them yourself. Yeah. At first I was just, um, I bought like a bunch of different tights from, you know, a bunch of different places, um, and tried to dye them and see which one died best. Um, so yeah, it was, I was at first, I didn't have a supplier for tights. I was just buying them retail, uh, and dyeing them in my kitchen and selling them on Etsy. Yeah. Um, I put them up on Etsy, um, in 2012 in like, May, March of 2012 and really wasn't expecting anything. I thought like maybe a couple of my friends would buy them, but on the, on the, like the third day that they were up, uh, they got onto somebody's Tumblr, which was big in 2012. Cause you were and talking about 2012 was pre let's all remember back. Mm-hmm. Instagram was baby. Wasn't yes. used the way it is. And Facebook was, mm. so Tumblr was where you land Tumblr yes. and Pinterest, you said. Yeah. Tumblr and Pinterest were it. And, um, yeah, somehow it just kind of got onto Tumblr and made its way really quickly around Tumblr and Pinterest. And I was at lunch one day, uh, like it was a Friday and, uh, midway through lunch, like my phone just started blowing up. It was like that cha-ching noise when mm-hmm. whenever you get a sale from Etsy and it just literally did not stop for a week straight and the orders just kept like flooding in for I mean I was busy making tights consistently like backed up with orders for three years for three years and tell us the piece behind you that because that kind of showcases your artistic um you know scope of what you're working with because isn't that from the tights that you mm-hmm. did in you're listening, she has this yeah. beautiful 
woven art piece behind her in so many colors. And so that's what we're asking her about. You'll have to look at it on Facebook. Yeah, there it is. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's all made out of cut up tights. Um, you could imagine how many like tights I (laughs) was able to hoard, uh, since 2012. And, um, I just wanted to do something with them. I feel like a lot of creative people, we just hate throwing stuff away. We're just like, oh, I'll, I'll use that for I'll something. use that one day. I need that yeah. scrap of fabric for something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. So, um, so yeah, I just cut it up into yarn and weaving was always something that I had done as a child. Like I was that crafty kid that was always making those like nylon pot holders and like the, 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 like the hook loom things. Anyway, so, um, so 2018, I think like at the point I was over doing the tights business, I started making a lot of art in 2018, 2019. And I think it helped me really like reset and come back to the things that I love to do. Do you think that you burned out? Is that why you think that you transitioned out of that business? What took you out of that tights business? It was definitely burnout. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, when the tights happened, I was, it was a real like deer in headlights start. I didn't even know how to like pack and ship an order, you know, and Mm -hmm. I was just like being flooded. And so it was just kind of like constant go, go, go constant, like dying tights for years. And I just got really burnt out and depressed. And like, I was pretty isolated, you know, just dying tights by myself for hours and hours and days and days. And So I definitely got like depressed for a long time and, um, I just didn't know the things that I know now about being healthy and running your own business. Like you have to find peers and colleagues, um, a support system and you have to like kind of balance your life (laughs) and, uh, all those healthy habits. And then, um, you know, I was, I was missing a little bit of, my why, why was I doing this? I was just kind of going Mm. through the motions of the day. Um, so yeah, I, I got burnt out on the actual dying of tights because it's super labor intensive. Like you're literally standing over like boiling hot water for five straight hours at a time. And it's just a lot of like heavy buckets of hot water. And can I ask you a question? Cause now you're manufacturing as we transition to talking about chunks, your hair accessories line, mm-hmm. was it because you were young? Was it cause you were in the weeds? Like what was the reason that maybe at that point you didn't look to see if you could scale this handmade business of yours that would take you away from dying it all yourself and perhaps finding a manufacturer. Cause now you are working with a manufacturer for your hair accessories. Yeah, I tried early on to see if I could outsource the dyeing and there was just no good way to do it. It was just okay. one of those things. Dyeing is really tricky. It's not a easily controlled form or thing to do. Um, so yeah, I had, I contacted some dye houses um, in LA overseas and a couple of the big companies actually made knockoff ombre tights after that um like anthropology american eagle or so- something like were that. they printed and they weren't printed they were dyed but the dye job was terrible okay. like it just looked streaky and gross you know they didn't do a good job with the colors or they would just copy my colors but they were right. just stre- streaky version of versions of my colors and um you know i just felt like 
sublimating them just didn't have, or like digital printing fabric, it didn't have the same effect. Um, mm-hmm. The dye, the hand dyed tights like really had a, a quality about them that made them super unique. Right. And um, yeah, so I kind of just kept doing that because they were in high demand, but yeah. I was, I burned you were out just, from it. You were just going. Right. You were just a machine so you were going. Yeah. We were at the burnout stage in 2018. Then you decided to step back and be like, okay, I need a reset. And you jumped back into your art to mm-hmm. basically find probably the thing that you still loved about it, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had spent the, the pre, the, like the last few years of BZR, um, because I started in 2012 and then I had a a kid in 2015. So that like forced me to take a break. And I had some employees that like kept the ship running. Um, but during that time and the couple years afterwards, it gave me some time to experiment with some different mediums. Like I tried jewelry. I, I made the sunnies. Um, I tried to do some cut and sew and, um, but I tried all the things cause I was definitely on this journey of like, what's next and what do I love to do? And I think around after a couple of years of doing that around 2018, um, things started kind of clicking and falling into place. And I think, especially with the art just really brought me back to like what I love to do when I was eight years old, like the eight year old me, like what I just love to do for the sake of doing, Um, and it kind of gave me the confidence to explore chunks and that like idea nugget when it popped up. Mm. Okay. So now we're talking about chunks. So one of the things I love about chunks is just the color and it is art. It's like art pieces for your hair, um, really bright colors, which are similar to your BZR tights, Mm -hmm. um, artistic, you have a fashion design background, you you're an artist or just so many things that you've incorporated. But one of the things I want to highlight for everyone, when you land on chunks, it's chunks.shop. Um, and we'll put the link in the show notes, but right when you show up, there's this beautiful logo. And then it says proudly made in China support responsible manufacturing. So sometimes people try and hide the made in China and you have it. Like it's the second thing that you see underneath the name of your business. So chat to us a little bit about that, like the choice of why you did that. And then also the idea of responsible manufacturing. Yeah. Well, when I first decided to manufacture in China, I knew that I loved my experiences working with Chinese manufacturers. They're really good at what they do. Um, And I just kept kind of feeling, feeling this discomfort around it still though, because I am from the maker world where it's very like handmade, made in the U S like anti manufacturing. And, um, but then I, you know, I was, I kind of marinated on it and I was like, actually, that's not just like a maker thing. That's kind of like everybody thing (laughs) is having this an American thing, especially an American thing. Um, having this negative connotation about manufacturing, especially like made in China stuff. Um, I think it got a bad rap for, uh, for a long time. Um, and we, as Americans, just like, as you know, normal people, we don't know a ton about manufacturing, um, unless you're in that industry, you know, otherwise it's pretty opaque. And so we go off of these like few kind of negative stories we hear. And also like Chinese manufacturing is developing at such a quick pace that I think a lot of the stories that we 
base our, you know, our stereotypes on, they're not true anymore. They might've been in like one, one, you know, at one time, but um, I think it's just time to kind of reevaluate our own information, uh, what we know about manufacturing, what we know about Chinese manufacturing, especially. Yeah. And just kind of uh, making that my mission is to open up that conversation. Yeah. And even in this time, right? Like right now it's like, China's bad in the time yeah. of oh, politics. You know, check the environment of that, right? So yes. the 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 narrative is still there. Um, but if you think about Chinese manufacturing, right, there's not the language barrier that there used to be. Also, when I first started, so I started in 2015 when I would first source stuff from China, it was hard for them to work with me because I was a, a Asian woman. Mm. And so you could see that disconnect, but nowadays even Asian women can make money in America. Can you believe that? So <laughs> that's even transitioning over there where they, sh- you know, like, oh, mm-hmm. we should take her seriously. Right. So it is this dynamic that goes back and forth. I think that For it's sure. very true that it has to do with the narrative that goes back and forth. Like they respond this, the way that we respond. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also love the idea for manufacturing because a lot of the times when we're coaching people, they get burnt out. And that's not just if you're an artist, that's if you're a maker, that's if you're manufacturing, that's if you're a graphic designer or anything, anything, usually a creative entrepreneur. And this alleviates you getting burnt out, but you still get to be that creative that you want to be. You still get to do the things that you love. That's what it comes back to. And it's a sustainable business along with sustainable materials, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, I like that we're pointing this out because I totally agree. And I think that it's as makers and business owners and, you know, leaders in our industry, we have to be a bit about changing that narrative as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Very early on, I, I really discovered that I loved the process of um, designing chunks and just getting like the samples back from the manufacturer. And, um, you know, definitely there's, it's not perfect for sure where I feel like I'm going through a little bit of um, manufacturing issues now, now that my company is like really starting to grow and my number of styles is growing the complexity um, of my items and the amount of revisions. So I'm starting to have to rethink that, but they are in step with me every step of the way, like they're down for anything. Um, Right now I'm having a conversation with them about packaging too, because along with you know, anything you get made, it has to be shipped here and it's just all wrapped in so much plastic. It's insane. And <laughs> those little um, plastic baggies that you have to unwrap. Yes. Yes, <laughs> so yes. And so it just drives me crazy how much plastic is involved uh, with every order. And so we're having this discussion now of like, what can we use instead of plastic? Um, so they've been trying to source like cornstarch based wrap. And maybe do a combination of like this cornstarch-based stuff and like some packing paper or something where it just is like all this plastic is insane. They're way ahead of the States, right? Because that's totally way ahead of the United States when it comes to packaging. One of the things that I found, and we're having this conversation, actually, we have the three masterminds right now, and there's a lot of um, overseas Chinese manufacturing conversations happening, interestingly enough. And 
the, even for me starting apparel lines, like starting accessories lines for like this, that's been my career for the last, I don't know, 14 years. There are things you just cannot make here. There are limitations to the state. So no matter as much as you want to do it, there, the molds are not here. The, yes. the facilities are not here. Um, people want to uh, do certain types of seaming on apparel and we cannot do it here. And yeah. part of the reason yeah. is manufacturing did transfer over and the machines left. And there's been certain mm-hmm. things that we've been able to bring back, but there's certain things we can't. So we're sourcing, one of my clients is sourcing charms right now. Mm-hmm. You could, you could, there are smaller businesses that can make you charms, but I want everybody that's listening that maybe, maybe sometimes feels a little judgment about this is people aren't willing to pay more for made in America. They're just not. Yeah. yeah. Bottom line is they want to pay less. Even okay. if it's, I remember when eco-friendly, when um, organic cotton hit really mm-hmm. big, it yeah. was back in like 20, 2009 or something. And everyone was like, I need organic cotton shirts. And we were manufacturing them in Los Angeles. And you're paying premium for the, the material. And then Walmart came out with organic cotton shirts for like $12.99. And we were selling them for $45. And guess what? They sold out at Walmart because the trend was organic cotton and they didn't care where it was being manufactured. So right. So I think, I think like you said, this responsible sourcing, the idea of the business owner being responsible and no matter where you manufacture to bring the goods to your customers, to consumers, to make this business, that's going to support you and your family. And then being the responsible business owner that chooses who you work with and and your standards or problem solving, like you're saying too much plastic, what alternatives can we come up with? And then that right there starts to set new standards. Exactly. Exactly. American companies. Yeah, I think, you know, um, it's such a complex discussion. Like I can talk about this forever because like you were talking about with the organic cotton, you'll have to check me on this fact, but I heard organic cotton takes like way more water, way more water, conventional cotton. And so like, what is responsible manufacturing? Cause there are like, you know, water short Mexico is like about to run out of water right now, you know, and California (laughs) and California, like, so it's, it's, you're just trading off one thing for another yeah. and just like feeling good about it for yourself. But in reality, it's not necessarily better. Right. And mm-hmm. the same with made in the U S it's not necessarily better because to be honest, their machines are going to be outdated, which probably take more energy to run. Um, and they're not going to be like, they're just not going to be as innovative because they're running off of like old machines and they don't have those like manufacturing hubs where they can get resources like locally. And um, it's just not built that way anymore. It's it's the foregone era. And um, a lot of it's not coming back. I used to source my hosiery in North Carolina Mm because that used to be a big hosiery um, area. Hosiery and socks. And so that's where all the knitting mills were uh, in like North Carolina and Appalachians. Um, but even, even them, they are now like how China used to be where they wouldn't work with me because I was a woman because (laughs) I wasn't a big company. Oh, because they're like run by these old men now, their family, they're still like these family run business. I've done a lot of socks. I did compression socks in North Carolina too. Mm -hmm. Really hard to get past the kind of like stuck point of it. And I just don't want to waste their time with new development. Yeah. Like everyone Mm -hmm. I've known that's ever worked with those mills in North Carolina. It's a struggle. I'm talking like, I called like 20 of them, like all (laughs) all of them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, they just, they won't talk to you unless you're with like a big company, they yeah. also won't mm-hmm. talk to you just cause like, you're just a girl coming in who mm-hmm. has an idea, you know, I think Sarah mm-hmm. Blakely started 
um, there too. And yeah. it gave her a lot of like gruff about her new ideas and that she wasn't with this big company. And I remember um, the manufacturer I ended up going with because they made the tights that I needed. I had to get one of my male friends to call them and talk to them in the US. <laughs> and yeah. this was like in 2012. Like, right. it's not better here, you know? Well, uh, I think it's the idea of global sourcing. So when mm-hmm. the world kind of shifts back, I mean, yeah. we're seeing, we're seeing glo- a global pandemic, which brought us all mm-hmm. together in the way of like, where every single corner of the world is dealing with this. And then, you know, depending on what happens in politics and whatnot, there's also the idea of being able to work together from the idea of global sourcing. And like you said, responsible global sourcing, I think women run businesses, hence the female founders episode, but and the female um, leaders that dealt with their end of the pandemic in various countries, how, yeah. you know. Yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. in general. So as we start to see women shift into more places of power, like into these positions of CEO or or dealing with it, like you said, China, I know that now that when we work with China, they actually oftentimes does do have a a woman that's sometimes our our point of contact. Yeah. She's, and they're very good at their follow through. Exceptional. Yeah. Um, all, yeah, all sorts of messages. So I think as we're starting to see it shift and like you said, I think it's that responsible side of it all. So I guess what we're trying to say to the listeners here and anyone that's a consumer is the idea of looking at the business that you're buying from and how they're operating their business. And yes, yes, we do like try and say made in America or made in Canada or made where it is, but it is still a U.S. based business that's manufacturing product at actually very reasonable prices. Cause if mm-hmm. you made those here, you might have to sell them for $30 a, a hair clip. Right? right. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, um, yeah, at first, you know, responsible manufacturing, because I'm a, a product person, I'm a designer. A lot of what I considered responsible manufacturing was the actual production process and the materials. Um, so like acetate is, has a much shorter life than acrylic or other types of plastics because it's um, synthesized from a plant material. Mm. So it just breaks down a lot quicker and all the acetate that uh, is not used or wasted. It actually goes back to the acetate manufacturers to get recycled. So that was like what I was really interested in. Um, And and also just, you know, how to, how to create less waste in the production process, um, not throwing away like defective stuff. Um, and then uh, a lot of my customers, though, brought up, well, how about uh, the topic of like fair wages and factory conditions and stuff like that? And to be honest, I hadn't even really thought about it at that point point yet. I feel like it took me a while to really hone in on my messaging and like what, what I wanted chunks to stand for. But like, that is such, that is like totally a part of the conversation as well. Um, which I also want to bring into the conversation because I think again, a lot of what we assume about those topics, fair wages and like factory conditions is a little bit outdated also. A hundred percent. They're outdated in the States as much as they are globally. That's one of the trends that we're really seeing, right? Is that things will go more global, like what Jacqueline was saying. And we are seeing that more and more because we're seeing as a world, we all have our levels of consumption. Um, With 
the industries now, it's definitely stuck where it used to be, like what you said, and the conversation's not even being had, you know, just like in China, for instance, I really do feel like the reason why women are the point of customer service Mm -hmm. is because they can interact with what they see it as the ideal business owner being a white male, different than an Asian man can, right? Mm-hmm. They can yeah. negotiate in different ways, like a like, kind of like a soft touch, let's say, right? Yeah. So where well, that's changing as well. So I think all of all across the board, but there's also fair wages. What's fair over there is not the same as fair over exactly. here. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Exactly. And so I think that's what we have, all have to be conscious of. We're not better than anybody you know, in the States. And um, I love that you put that we're proudly, you know, uh, manufactured in China and that you also have the due diligence to look at where in China and how and what conversations you're having. And you actually are making a, such an impact. It's it's amazing. You know, I'm sure with the the people that you work with and even in their minds and the women and the manufacturers and all of that. So that's awesome. Yeah. And so I'm working really hard now so that I can get my business into a place where it can scale a bit because I want to get to a place where I'm spending 80% of my time on just designing and also advocating for what Chunk stands for. And that is like going to China, actually like being hands-on with my manufacturing, figuring out better ways how to do things and being more innovative. The more that China sees that there is a demand for these things, they step up, like they adapt. Mm -hmm. They innovate in order to meet demand really well. That is what Mm -hmm. they're good at. And so a lot of, a lot of like a worker, you know, um, abuses and low wages, it actually comes, it's actually a result of American companies demanding product at a very low price and they meet that demand. And so what if we changed what we demand and they will change the manufacturing accordingly? So true. Yeah. Well, I think that is a perfect way to wrap this episode. Um, And for all of, all of you business owners out there to think about that as well and let that resonate with you. So Tiffany, thank you for being on the podcast today. Would you mind sharing with our listeners how they can support you, buy from you and share your business? Yeah. uh, My social media hub is definitely on Instagram. My handle is at chunks.shop. My website is chunks.shop. We'll drop that into the show notes. Yeah. Thanks so much, Tiffany. It was so much fun chatting with you. Cool. Thank you guys. Hey friends, Jacqueline here. Based on all the amazing things we are seeing happen online, we are predicting this is going to be one of the busiest seasons for e-commerce ever. Are you ready for it? No matter what stage of business you're in, the one thing we do know is you need to show up and create content that actually matters to your customers during this 2020 holiday season. But wait, you may be thinking, sounds great, but what do I actually say to them without being salesy? Don't worry, friends, we've got you covered this holiday season. Introducing 101 plus content ideas beyond the discount 2020 edition, a bundle of tools, prompts, and video training that helps you create content this holiday season to reach out to your customers beyond just offering discounts, which is uber important to having a profitable Q4. This is created specifically for you to use during this 2020 holiday season. So what's included? 
101 plus content prompts to be used on social media, emails, and in live videos. Three months of edible calendars filled with daily content ideas for marketing in 2020 quarter four. Monthly checklists for 2020 holidays to inspire content and calendar prompts. Five holiday plug and play scripts that will help you show up easily on video to stand out from the big guys. And this is one of our favorites. The easiest way to have a 12 days of holiday sales or a cyber month sales worksheet, plus video trainings and so much more. If you want to check it out, make sure to grab 101 content ideas beyond the holiday discount 2020 holiday edition. We wanted to make this holiday season as sweet as pumpkin pie that we are practically giving this away. Head to holidaycontentideas.com right now. And let's make this your most profitable holiday season ever.